Welcome to the Backyard Buddhist Podcast, where we continually seek everyday enlightenment for the benefit of ourselves and all other beings. I'm Ron Powell McLean, and I'm here with my good buddy, Danny Hobart. Today, we're getting right to the heart of our practice and talking about how to be enlightened and why we aren't already. Hey, Dan, what's up? Good day, my fine friend. I am... I've got 4 million things on my to-do list, so that's what's up with me. How about you? <laughs> I have about 3.5 million, so... <laughs> I win. I finally won something you win. today. You win. I'll yeah. let you, I will let you win that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a, there's a contest for you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's very easy to get in the task list these days. It's so funny. Like I'm, I'm really not officially working and <laughs> I feel like I'm busier than uh, like, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, things would just be different, but <laughs> I'm not sure if I'd have time for work <laughs> with all of the other things that I have on my plate. This is a, you're, you're the chicken or the egg, right? What came what came first, your free time or your task list? With which, <laughs> you know. Well, I guess that's part of it. So, <laughs> it kind of, it kind of leads into the topic today, where people keep asking me about enlightenment. I keep getting emails and asking about <laughs> enlightenment, and you know, what do you? One said. What do you feel is the, the quickest way to enlightenment? Which, you know, I don't think you can get any more um, Western <laughs> than that question. Right. How, how quickly can I get enlightenment? Where can I pick up the book? Where do I take the pill? What do I do to get enlightened? <laughs> it's funny. I, I think I probably entered the, you know, that same uh, stream when I first started practicing practicing Buddhism. I've been, you know, meditating much, much longer than I have been practicing Buddhism. So I don't think I ever thought of the result of meditation as enlightenment when I was just a meditator. I think my result or the my intended result was to relieve stress and migraines very specifically but then when i you know when i wandered into buddhism here's this little golden carrot of an enlightened being i can be an enlightened being and oh how do i get that like where do i where do i go for that and <laughs> we tend to and i'm going to just we everybody i'm going to put us all in the same bucket we buy the books we buy the cd's we buy the outfits, we buy the tools and the little amulets and beads and, you know, the cushion to sit on and this robes. Is, Don't robes. The robes. I said outfits, costumes, outfits, okay, that's however, right. the drag of it all. Yep. <laughs> I know that I looked and I often say, you know, I looked in every book for the jeweled key to the golden door. I looked and looked and looked and looked and looked, trying to learn how to be enlightened. 
you know, the, the funny part is that you don't get there by simply reading a book or putting on the outfit or sitting on the special pretty cushion or ringing the special bell, but it's what you do on the seat that really matters. So my time before, during, and after is where the rubber meets the road. That's the value. The, the whole value is derived from that practice. And, uh, you know, I'll say practice in many ways. There's different focus. Sometimes it's a focus on, on simply, you know, like breath awareness. Other times it could be on a riddle or koan. I find more in just innate awareness. That's why uh, the Dzogchen path is my primary root practice. And that's, if you don't know, that translates as the natural great perfection. So we're looking for the isness that is in all things. So we're not trying to change anything. The only thing that we're adjusting is our own reaction to those things that, you know, maybe don't resonate in a way that we either like them or dislike them or feel neutral about them. Instead, we can just watch our own reaction and leave it at that. I really want to respond to the questions of how do I get enlightened by, <laughs> by using the, the phrase which always has awakened my attention is that you should meditate or practice like your hair is on fire. My hair is on fire. We were just we were just talking about this, and I think that we should get Alicia Keys to rewrite her song. And you know, I'm sure she would. It, you know, we just need to send the email. Like your hair is on fire. I think it would mm -hmm. be perfect. Yeah, of course it would. I think so. You mentioned that you have it, you know, this key, the books, the whatever the secret thing is. I don't know if you, you probably just missed the book. There's actually a book called The Secret. And I think, oh no, if you would have, if you'd have jumped on board, it would have, it would have appeared in your driveway. <laughs> no, I read The Secret. I watched the movie. I read it. I donated it. <laughs> Well, that's nice. You, you see, I that's moved generosity. It yeah, that's compassion. on. In true Buddhist spirit, you shared it. Yeah. Well, so, here's the thing, though. There's two versions of that. Do you know there's two versions? Uh, no. There is an earlier version that is not the commercial version. That is, oh. um, was to me much better and much more about an awakened sense of being and not trying to manifest material things. Yes, there's a, a secret and the secret that everybody bought. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine, you know, I can imagine uh, somebody in the audience at, at Buddha's first talk where he, you know, comes, comes back from the forest and the tree and, and, you know, lays out the four noble truths and says it's right here in front of you. You just have to do it, but you have to do it on your own. And I can imagine the first thought with, that would go in most people's heads is like, okay, how long does it take? What do right. I have to do? And where do I sign up? 
what do I do? How long does it take? Like, just tell me, give me the instruction list <laughs> and I'm in. Right. It's a reasonable question, I guess, in the sense. And, and the part I would say that is meaningful. And you mentioned Zo Chen as a practice uh, that's spelled D Z O G C H E N. Uh, and you've told us this before, but I'll just repeat it uh, for the folks out there. Zo Chen is a practice that is extremely old in the Buddhist tradition, and it became sort of the vehicle or the teaching method that was used by sort of the, the higher up Buddhas at the time. The high lamas, yeah. High lamas to teach the teachers. And it was reserved for, well, at this point, thousands of years or hundreds of years. It was reserved and withheld from regular Buddhist practitioners. So you have so many schools of Buddhism now, uh, Mahayana and Vajrayana and Zen and there's Pure Land, Theravadan. They all practice differently, but most of them generally will not tell you you get to enlightenment in this lifetime. In fact, it is all but impossible. And many say, of course, that you have to live infinite lifetimes. Most of the time, you're not human. Most of the time, you're a cow or a flea or a, you know, a titsi fly. And so it's sort of this emphasis on you have to make your progress toward enlightenment while you're human because it's not going to come around again for a long time and and it's a very bleak sort of never ending it's not just an acknowledgement of suffering like we all suffer no it's a you suffer you will continue to suffer you're doing it wrong you can't do it right and you're finished like literally how how whatever you can imagine it's 100 billion times worse than that and then one of you at some point will maybe possibly, but probably not reach enlightenment. So, so Chen, it's very yeah. motivational. <laughs> it is. It is. Like, I mean, I guess it's a way to get lock in, right? Like buy in from your people. Like, Oh God, I got a, you know, original sin. Oh, I, I, I was, bo- I was born with original sin. You oh, know, I've said, no. you know, I've shared this with you many times that if I, so Zochen was my, my real first exposure to Buddhism. If I, I, and I will say this knowing that, you know, I've, I've only experienced it in this fashion that if I would have not had the lens of Zochen, I would not have pursued Buddhism. So if I would have, if I would have encountered, you know, Theravadan or, you know, the Zen practices first, I probably wouldn't have stayed with it because it seemed, it did seem so very linear and bleak. So, Thank wow. goodness for Lama Suryadas and the Sochen practices because it's given me a lens to actually see the value of those other practices without being so attached to the graduation from them. I've had the exact same experience, although I came to Buddhism not that long ago, uh, relatively, uh, some years ago. 
I, I had been to other Buddhist temples and services, you know, ranging from sitting on the floor to, you know, reading stuff in uh, Chinese, you know, that had been translated or Tibetan and any, any just various number of rituals involved and, uh, you know, no judgment on any of that mm -hmm. first, uh, first of all, it, but it wasn't for me. And, you know, once I started practicing with you, I, I don't even know that I knew Zochen or you even said it probably for a year. I was getting my feet wet and just liked the style of the practice. But as soon as I found out that there is a path and it is attainable, like now, oh boy, that's a, that's a game changer. Uh, that is an absolute, complete and utter game changer. I, I, again, I can't imagine uh, doing any other style. Now, it, it's lucky enough, both of us, very much so, it, it sort of just clicked with. And I, I want to throw a tiny disclaimer out there for, for folks that are used to more traditional Buddhist practices. You know, this can be challenging. Uh, they're, they're, this, is, this is jumping into the deep end of the pool. And uh, it's not for the, for the faint-hearted always. Mm -hmm. you, you have to have a bit of courage. You have to, you have to sort of gird, your, gird yourself um, and be willing to, to risk, risk a bit. Um, you have to have a little bit of faith in it. So anyway, it's, it's, um, it's a beautiful practice though. Yeah, obviously. Well, it's direct. I will say that. Um, and that does make it hard um, at times because there's, there's nowhere to hide really. So it's been a, you know, a, a game changer for me, a lifesaver and a game changer. It's a good way to put it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of wake up, wake up. <laughs> there's a lot of right. open and your do it eyes now. and do it open now. Open your eyes. Yes. Spontaneous right. nowness awareness. I struggle a bit when, when things start to get uh, busy in my life, muddy, um, the task list. We, you know, we're joking about that when we got on the call. Uh, that the task get task list gets long, and a lot of us push aside our spiritual practice, put it on the back burner, and we'll get to that when I have time. When I have time, so I'm going to just remain in this suffering state and suffer through my task list of getting all the things done and, and pleasing all the people that need to be pleased. And then maybe, you know, when I have a little time, maybe, you know, maybe over spring break, maybe over Christmas break, I can get to, you know, the spiritual aspect of my life. For me, I will say that it has, it's been such a lifesaver for me and literally a lifesaver that I feel deeply disconnected when I don't have it present, my practice in the balance of my day. So if I get up and go straight in and start doing, doing, working, 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 and I haven't taken the time to just, and I mean 10 minutes, 
I mean, I'm not talking about sitting for two or three hours on a special stool in a special place and, you know, letting the, you know, the breeze cascade through my hair as I, you know, drift off on a cloud somewhere. I'm talking about just centering, finding my awareness in my being for five or 10 minutes while I drink my coffee in the morning. That if I haven't done that, then it's like a, an agitation that is just an attachment all day long. So for me, it's, I don't feel like it's an option. And I, it's so glaring to me when I am uncomfortable, when I'm feeling rushed, when I'm feeling like the task list is overwhelming, I know immediately that my attention is not in the present. I know it and I can access it. So there's a balance. And sometimes that means I need to walk away from whatever I was doing. Just turn off the computer, whatever task I was overwhelmed with, I probably just need a break and a break of pure awareness. Like there's tips and tricks and tools that I use. You know, I'm, I often wear, a, you know, a wrist mala on my right arm because that's, I'm right-handed and I use that for the mouse and that those beads get in the way. So it's not like I can ignore them. So each time that bead gets in the way or, you know, I go to set my arm down and I feel the bead under it, it's a reminder to be awake and aware. I, you know, I've, I've gone so, so blatantly um, <laughs> basic about this. I will put a post-it on the bottom of my monitor, my computer monitor that says, awake and aware awake and aware to remind me i i also have you know a little a little buddha on (laughs) on my computer who's like a little stuffed funny buddha that magnets onto (laughs) the thing and he smiled he just smiles at me and he reminds me you know that things aren't always as big as i think they are you know, the, this, this, there's a real beauty in that of small, simple reminders day to day. And what a great example, something that you just constantly bump into. And it, it's also a great representation of obstacles in your life too, right? So it works in the practice as well. It's a distraction. It's a, because whatever you're mousing on and you hit the bead and you're like, oh, you have a, you have a tiny half a second of a moment where you're like, Oh, B, oh, oh, Buddha. Buddha. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, aware. Yeah. Uh. yeah. Right. You look at your post-it in the middle of writing some paragraph or, you know, trying to craft your email just right. You're like, Oh, awake and aware. I, yeah, I should do that. <laughs> I should, I should have a moment. Like, right. right. But, that, you know, would be, that's, that would be so practical. <laughs> yeah. That's the, you know, that's the beauty of Zochen as a practice is that it's whatever tool you have. Now, obviously it shouldn't be like I'm a 
person that likes to hurt people. And so my tool to feel awakened is to hurt people. No, not that, uh, but, but things like this, whatever tool it is you have in your arsenal uh, that will help you in your, in your shed will that will help you have these little moments. Uh, they're beautiful and don't shy away from it. And it's not lesser. This is not lesser than like Ron described, it's not lesser than having all the ornamentation and having a, you know, a full room of, of your temple and your shrine and your representations of all the interesting things in Buddhism. Uh-uh. It's literally as simple as a post-it. Yeah. It's as simple as a one word or two word or three word mantra. It's as simple as sitting at a stoplight and just inhaling, hold it, and then exhale. Yeah. Those are the moments uh, that get you through uh, to your next practice. Those are the moments that get you through tough times through the day. And don't for a second, please, any of you, don't, don't be hard on yourself if that's a part of your practice. Be, be uh, joyful about it. Take, put, 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 experience the intent that you put into that to begin with this is the, that is the practice of buddhism yeah absolutely but you know we get the question you know all the time you know when right. how how do i get enlightened when when would this happen what special things do i need to do to you know and i i've fallen for it you know i've i've <laughs> i I have fallen for it before um, with, you know, the promise of this practice, this specific practice. If you do this, then the direct result is enlightenment and not that they aren't, but if you go in, (laughs) if you go in just thinking, Oh, all I have to do is get through this book and the key will turn and the door will open and the sun will shine then I will have everything that I want. Well, you know, folks, remember, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. It doesn't change the fact that we're still living and we're in these relative bodies and living these, you know, living a life in a a body that can be uncomfortable and painful and a mind that has thoughts and uncomfortable thoughts and we are engaged and attached to those sensations and our reactions. So part of the practice is realizing that and recognizing it and acting with skill and wisdom. Yeah. And it's a good point to make you know, how do you get to enlightenment? Well, it starts with, it really does start with sitting your butt on the seat. Yeah. That's where it starts. Daily-ish, daily-ish. I give you the, you know, Lama Surya says daily-ish. I say daily-ish because if you need to miss a day or you do miss a day, it's not, you know, it's not the opportunity to beat up on yourself or, you know, just fall off the wagon, you get back on and meditate daily. 
like Ready. use the commitment and yep. you know dan dan can see behind me but you know i've got an elaborate altar in my home um in my office actually i have a a, a large butsudan and i have a large altar that you know has tankas and buddhas and some symbols and some tibetan things and some photos of teachers and things like that that i use as a motivation uh, to get me to the seat they are things that remind me to be on this path and why i'm on this path um, everything is curated uh, to me and my practice so those are important things to me and i think first you know really honoring the need for and the urgency for your practice is number one for me if i don't find value in what i'm doing why am i doing it so even on those days that i don't feel like sitting and I, I shared this with Dan earlier. Sometimes, like every day, I go to sit on the, the seat. And I've, I've been doing a, uh, a live meditation on Facebook and Periscope and YouTube during the entirety of the pandemic, um, five, six days a week. Um, and then our service on Sundays. So I'm leading a, you know, whoever wants to watch on a daily basis. And I will say about 10 minutes before I'm scheduled to sit on the seat, I think, I don't want to do it. <laughs> you don't want to go sit. Oh, I have to go meditate. I have to do the thing. And I sit down and my, my process is that I sit for a few minutes before I ever turn on the camera before I log in and do, you know, just some centering practice, some breathing practice on my cushion. And then I turn it on about five minutes early actually, so that people can find us. And during that time I'm chanting and I'm most of the time I'm chanting either like a Tara, uh, Tara chant, either white Tara, green Tara, green Tara more often, I guess. Um, or the seven-line supplication to Padmasambhava, which is you know part of the uh, Nundro. So I I typically chant that for about five minutes just to help myself into the my Buddha body, my Buddha presence, and recognizing myself as the Guru recognizing myself and seeing through to my Buddha nature, because we all have that. I'm not, you know, claiming to be anything I'm not. Um, you have the ability, I have the ability. That's the, the beauty of this is that we all have the opportunity to be enlightened in each and every moment spontaneously without lineage without a book, without a linear path, without a graduation, without a certificate, without the special beads or the seat. 
It's simply about being fully present, fully awake and aware, and then doing the work of seeing, perceiving, understanding what is occurring while we're in that state of awareness, watching ourselves. The biggest thing that I have learned is the love part. I have had a difficult time with the term love in my life because I thought, what does that even mean? I don't understand it. What is, you know, it seems intangible. The more I have practiced, the more I have understood that love is the compassionate acceptance of first myself. That is one of my primary focuses is understanding and being compassionate to my being, my awareness of my being. When something arises, when a sensation or a thought arises that I am feeling angry, for for instance, I'm having this sense sensation of anger, which all I have to do is watch, you know, a little bit of news and have that sensation. When I notice that sensation of anger, I know that I have to turn immediately to my core, my being. It's not about that I don't love the dude that's on the TV that's doing really unskillful things because I'm not feeling love for the dude on the TV that's doing the unskillful things. But that also means that I am not feeling the love for myself. And I know that that's, you know, that's as woo woo as Powell gets (laughs) is that without that compassion and understanding that wise view and understanding of myself, I don't, have the capacity to understand or be compassionate to another living being. So if I'm not feeling it, when I'm seeing it somewhere else, I need to immediately turn to me, nurture me, nurture the thing, you know, find out why, you know, why am I, you know, why am I feeling the sensation of anger? What's going on there that I can begin to understand the stimulus and response, stimulus and response. So generosity is sort of a big deal of Buddhism. And I always thought it was, you know, giving, giving stuff, be doing stuff, pick up the trash, uh, help somebody cross the street, hold the door, uh, donate your clothes, um, generous, be generous, uh, buy somebody a sandwich, whatever. And that in, not that those things aren't generous and not that those aren't lovely uh, contributions to everybody. That's that don't take it that way. In, in Buddhism, the concept of generosity is loving yourself. It's being compassionate toward yourself because we are all teachers for each other. We are all here to help each other reach enlightenment, no matter what level you're at, no matter what, classes you've been to or retreats we're all here in this together we're all the same we're all helping each other and so if you want to be 
to, to be a true teacher, to be a true helper of your fellow person, you have to be compassionate with yourself because if you're not doing it with yourself, you won't do it with other people. So being generous, the only way you can share compassion is if the, which is being generous is if you do it with yourself first. So I love, I love that, uh, what you just said. And I love the concept of that. It, it really, once I sort of understood that on a more sort of Buddhist level, it really struck a chord with me. But I wanted to also respond, though, to talking about the practice. And, you know, I find this is this is a little more basic than some of what you said, but I find uh, that it's common for me to say, I, well, I just don't have time to sit down for 10 minutes. But I'm busy. I'm too busy. I have look at this list that I'm that I made and I'm too busy. Well, guess what, folks? Do you know what I do to myself? I don't have the energy to do it. That's This is not a time issue because I know and believe fully it would be more beneficial to me to spend the time meditating than it would to be doing almost anything else. That is 100% true. And so this concept of time, too busy, I don't have time in my head. I try to catch myself on that. For me, it's energy because I know that when I meditate, especially lately, this has been top of mind lately. Now I've gone through phases and if you practice regularly, you will too. I've gone through phases when it's really easy and it's sort of lovely and you just sort of relax into it and it's nice. And you have, you have some thoughts and they're kind and they flow in and out and you just can let it go and it's perfectly lovely. Other members of our Sangha have incredibly vibrant, and you have too many times you tell us the stories, but vibrant rainbows and colors and openness and this sort of vast expanse of existence that just sort of flows through you when you're doing it. Here's the truth of it, folks. You, you go through all these different phases, but I, I am in a in a part in my practice where I get a lot of uh, negative thoughts. I get a lot of busyness because that to-do list gets in my head and I have to keep pushing it out, um, pushing it, letting go of it really is the better way to say it. Uh, you know, push or get pulled is one of our famous things that Ron says all the time, push or get pulled, you know, um, let go or get dragged. Yeah. Let go or get dragged. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Let go or get dragged, let go or get dragged. Right. That's it. And so when I, when I'm in that and I'm thinking that, I the last thing I want to do is sit down and be quiet about it. Like then it just has free reign to attack me constantly. If, if I can't keep my hands busy doing something else, oh boy, now I have to face these things. Now I have to, I have to make peace with, with these, this, this distractions, these obstacles. And, you know, and it takes some intent. It takes some, uh, it takes some, concentration and some focus um, to let those things go sometimes and that's okay it's it's really okay because when you practice when this becomes a habit and it will there are parts of this that become a habit believe it or not parts of it will get easier for you they will get more routine you'll be familiar with them right. and boy when you're on your path that's that you meditate, you you're moving down your path, whether that's a 
you know, Fifth Avenue in New York or whether your path is some hiking trail or your front yard or wherever your path is, uh, you'll make some progress. And I got to tell you, there's not much that feels better than that. You, sometimes it takes effort. You have to fight for it a bit, but that's good. But that's good. If you start by honoring, honor, yeah. really honoring the value of your practice, then that's a really good start. I wanted to, I wanted to share too that you know the Tibetan masters say that Westerners use the term "busy" as an excuse for laziness. Yeah. Yeah, that's the same. That's the same. That's sounds, the same judge, sort of sounds a little judgmental, but. <laughs> oh, well, let's be clear. Tibetan masters are not always kind people. Uh, <laughs> they're, du they're direct. I think they're kind yeah. in their directness. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's fair enough. It's, yeah. You, that's the, that's, I guess that's the Buddhist version of getting your knuckles wrapped in Catholic school, right? <laughs> like. Yes. Yeah. Or no. So you're right. <laughs> well, yes and no. Wake up. Wake up. Pay attention. Yes. Yeah. Wake up. Yes. It's uh, yeah, but pra the practice is important and it is it is more the busier you get and the the more your list grows and the more the things are piled on, uh the more important and the more valuable. Uh, these things can, this, your practice can become and will be because it's, the, that's where the isness is, right? Yes. The is is in the isness. The isness is in your practice and it will be sometimes the hardest 10 minutes or 20 minutes of your day until you're done with it, at which point you think, why didn't I do this mm -hmm. earlier? Right. Shining the light of awareness sanctifies whatever suffering there is. It's as simple as that. So if, you know, even the uncomfortable things, when we turn that spotlight of awareness right on the thing that is troubling us the most, we can see it for what it is. We can see our own reaction to that stimulus and act accordingly, act, act with wisdom and compassionate understanding, and then take compassionate action, the steps of compassionate action immediately after that. So just inserting in that gap between stimulus and response, a moment of awakened awareness changes everything. I, that's my favorite, it, the, my, one of my favorite quotes, which I always say, you know, meditate as fast as you can. That's one of my favorite quotes, uh, pit instructions, if you will. But, uh, but another one is when you act like Buddha, you are Buddha. And when you practice, when you, uh, when you practice, you are very much like Buddha. Because that's what Awaken, Buddha did. You know, yes. let's let's go to the you know the the Your translation Buddha. Yes. of Buddha means awakened one. Yeah. So yeah. and so therefore, if you're looking for enlightenment, 
let's define that what it is. It's awakening. It's awakening to everything, all of it, all of it, it. understanding, having wise and compassionate view and understanding of what this experience really is. And the way that you can affect it is by your own self-love. And I'm not talking about self-cherishing. I'm talking about understanding and compassionate love toward your own being and experience. We are so nasty to ourselves. The, you know, the mind, that part that we don't speak out loud is where so much of the work is done in catching that thought that is so cruel to ourselves. Instead, catching it, seeing it for what it is, stopping it, and then proceeding with compassionate action. So instead, approach ourselves with the compassionate love and understanding like nurturing a small child or a beloved pet. It's so simple. But when we can learn to do that for ourselves, we then just automatically do it for other people and other beings. Simple but hard. Simple but hard. But when you think about it, it's not really that hard to pick up a kitten and like cuddle with it, right? Well, unless it bites you or scratches you and then, you know, (laughs) then it can be a little more challenging, but you know, they're awfully cute to start with. (laughs) That happens. That happens too. I think a lot of us started out like cute and cuddly too. (laughs) We, we are all, we are, are all still like that sometimes. Right. And then we learned that skill of judgment. We learned that from our parents. Yeah. Right. Whose parents taught them so well, and their parents taught them so well. Think about yes. it this way. Each moment that I can be compassionate, loving, and understanding to myself creates the result of karma moving forward. Absolutely. There's a I'm trying I was trying to think of an example. There's a big difference at the end of the day. Well, if you look at your to-do list and you're like, you know what? I got one thing done out of 27. There's a big difference saying, oh, I didn't get my list done. And, oh, I didn't get my list done. I suck. Yes. There's a right. big I'm difference. I'm never going to get this. What a, we do I'm it in bad. meditation, too. I know a lot of people who, and I've done this myself, there's that, there's that thing that we do in our meditation practice that we find ourselves distracted, and then we go, oh, I did it again. I'm so <laughs> bad at this. I mean, you know, I can sit down with, you know, in front of my beautiful altar with my beads and, you know, my favorite meditation shawl and, you know, show up with some beautiful chants and, you know, I then sit in silence and I'm thinking about the grocery list and what I need to pick up at the store. And don't forget, you told the neighbor, the neighbor that you'd pick her up a loaf of bread and, you know, 10 minutes later, <laughs> I think, oh, crap. 
<laughs> the whole time I was thinking about the grocery store and that's the moment. That's the moment. That particular moment is your defining moment. You can do one of two things. <laughs> you can, you can choose to say, ah, I just caught my distraction. And then you gently bring your attention and put it right back, right in front of you, right where you can watch it. Or you can do what a lot of us do and go, yeah, I'm never going to get this. I'm so <laughs> bad at meditating. What a waste of time. Yeah. So again, yet another huge benefit of the Zochen practice, which teaches in meditation, it, not that it's sort of welcoming of distractions and these thoughts, but it certainly puts no judgment on them. Zochen in our practice yeah, open your eyes even. Look around. Listen. Hear all the sounds. So annoying. You're trying to be quiet. Uh, there's, a, there's cars driving by, and there's, you know, your, your, your floor creaks when you move, and, you know, your knee hurts. Uh, take your pick of things that get into your head while you're sitting quietly. I often and, say that silence is much louder than distraction. Yeah. And that's why, because your head yeah. is out to get you folks. <laughs> your, right. your brain, right. your, your brain is out to get you. And so let those thoughts come in and exactly, exactly how he just described it. Think about the store for 10 minutes, but you know what? He caught it. And that's the moment when you become aware of it. Right. And then you let it go and you're awakened. Now, that doesn't mean he's had some brilliant ray of sunshine shooting down through the top of his head and, you know, is going to float off and come back, you know, right. a different version of himself. I levitate. Uh, but, but, but those are the moments that you're going for, uh, whether they're about the grocery list or the phone, returning the phone calls or paying a bill, whatever it is, those are the moments in your practice that you're shooting for. Learning to be aware. I'm going to tell a little story before we close. My first retreat that I went on, it wasn't my first retreat, but my first, um, I'll call it advanced retreat. That's what Surya called them. Um, advanced retreat at our, um, at his hermitage and retreat center in Spicewood, Texas called Osoling. So I don't think it's uh, around any longer, but um, I'd had such a profound experience sitting in the temple and meditating. And I went for a walk with my Dharma mom, Yeshe. And we're walking down the road that leads into the retreat center. And we weren't supposed to be talking because it was a silent retreat, but we were talking because we were us. And we're walking along and the birds were so loud like it was just the singing of the birds was so loud and i i turned to yeshe and i said i don't know what's different in texas but the birds are singing so loudly here and she burst into laughter like falling down on the ground laughter 
And she said, sweetie, they're always that sound. You just weren't aware. This is our path. Awake and aware, practicing as if our hair was on fire. The wise master and celebrity drag queen RuPaul says it best. If you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Thanks for all our listeners from all over. Thanks for being a part of our conversations. And we'll see you next time. Oh, well, uh, as always, thank you. Uh, thank you for this. And remember, meditate as fast as you can. Like your hair is, is on, on fire. fire. <laughs> Bye, everybody.